Today's reading is from Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7, found on page 683. To us a child is born. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we just heard prophetic words that were spoken <clears throat> so many years ago. We pray that today, through your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts so that those words would come alive in a whole new way for us. Ready our hearts, God, to receive your living words. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. Amen. <clears throat> on the gray morning of June 6, 1944, Allied forces staged what was one of the most momentous and enormous uh, battles, an, uh, an assault on German positions of the beaches in Normandy, France. And it was a, a costly battle. It was called Operation Overlord, and in that battle it incurred over 10,000 casualties, stunning losses. That D-Day invasion, as it's commonly known, did not bring an end to the war in Europe. It did begin the process of, of, by which victory was finally achieved. That morning of June 6, 1944, General Eisenhower, who was the Supreme Commander of the Allied Forces, he had broadcast uh, throughout Europe, whoever would receive it, a speech. And in that speech, he spoke seven words that announced a new day in history. He said, the hour of your liberation is approaching. The hour of your liberation is approaching. Now, for my parents, who were at that time two teenage kids living in the Netherlands, that hour couldn't come soon enough. However, that liberation wouldn't happen for probably a year. They continued to live in probably one of the most brutal winters that that Nazi-occupied country experienced 
under the very suspicious, watchful eyes of the Nazis. They continued to live in hardship and hunger and deprivation and hiding. That was their everyday life. Nevertheless, hope had landed, and their liberation was afoot. Now, living under Nazi occupation, they, they would have really resonated with the, these words that the prophet Isaiah speaks, especially in earlier chapters um, where Isaiah prophesies, and those words are hard words because he talks about how everything is going to come undone. Everything is coming apart at the seams. Isaiah describes a scene of what feels like bleak darkness and, and like cultural collapse. He, he says these things, the grave enlarges its appetite and opens wide its mouth. Into it will descend their nobles and masses and all their brawlers and revelers. And then he continues and he calls down woe and he says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to who put darkness for light and light for darkness. He's saying it, it's, everything is upside down. So much so, he says, that the mountains shake and the dead bodies are like refuse in the streets. And then he says, if one looks at the land, there is only darkness and distress. And he wonders how long, and then he says this, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, the fields ruined and ravaged. Isaiah prophesies a, a bleak, despairing time. It's a time of paralyzing anxiety where, where even creation itself just seems to convulse. The mountains shake. Everything seems to be coming undone. No wonder people walk about in darkness. No wonder, Isaiah says, people are living in a land of deep darkness. But you read Isaiah and you think, this could just as easily have come from this past week's news feeds. Because today we live in no less precarious, dark times. Doesn't our world feel a shade darker than it did a year ago? Doesn't the divide that separates so many of us in this world seem bigger, greater? While Isaiah is using this prophetic poetry to tell about this coming judgment upon Jerusalem and upon Judah and how Assyria is going to attack and eventually haul them all into exile, it has this disturbingly contemporary feel to it, doesn't it? We find in our news feeds stories of, of brazen human rights abuses, like the state-orchestrated murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Think of the emboldened, in-your-face racism that's cropping up. The rise of digital troll factories in countries like Russia, where there are these factories, literal factories, fabricating false news stories, disinformation. They're weaponizing information to destabilize civil society, which is leading to exaggerate all our differences, amplify fear, so we're losing this the art of neighborliness, because we, we fear we're so divided. We no longer share, it seems, a commitment to the common good. Who would have thought that? Who would have thought of, about the current explosion of international, uh, erosion of, of international relations? Like the cooperation among nations, what has happened to it? The rise of fascism, of nationalism. 
Who would have thought that? Even creation groans under this shadow. Wildfires in California consume towns. Extreme weather events, they're, they're now regular realities for us. Past couple of weeks, groups of scientists, you know, are sounding the alarm that climate change, it's not just an issue we should put on our agenda, it's a crisis. And the timelines are more urgent than ever before. And you hear all of that. What's your response? I mean, despair seems like the most appropriate thing to do, doesn't it? Isaiah writes of that in chapter 8, verse 9, just before this passage we read. He says, They will look, the people will look to the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. Isaiah touches at, again, a current reality, the anxiety of our age. It is all around us, right? Healthcare professionals talk about this epidemic, this health crisis of anxiety, of depression, of despair. Little wonder we, we, we seek out the distractions, the digital distractions of digital media because, man, a virtual reality has got to be better than the reality we inhabit. Little wonder we, we try to push away and keep away the despair and escape the pain through addiction to various substances. Despair just sometimes seems like the most appropriate posture you could hold. Nevertheless, chapter 9 begins with that beautiful word. Nevertheless. Look at that word. That looks like it could be the boring beginning of a clause in a legal brief, right? <laughs> Nevertheless, it is the gospel in one word. Despite all the darkness you see, you feel in this world, in your life, nevertheless, a light has dawned. And don't we need that light? We have lived too long in a world dominated by the powers and principalities of darkness. We have lived too long, way too long, in the shadow of a culture that is broken by powerful people who wield that power not for the good of others. We have lived too long where the dignity of people has been diminished because of their race or their agenda or because of where they happen to be born and they suffer so much. For too long, the voices of the poor have been ignored. For too long, the shadow and darkness have reigned in this world. Nevertheless, their time is up, says Isaiah. This is the good news that God speaks through that Isaiah. Time is up on all those forces because a light has dawned. The people walking in darkness, they have seen a great light Time is up on all that shadow and darkness because to us, a child has been born. To us, a son is given. And the good news of the gospel is that despite all that the worst our kind can do, despite our ugly failure to evolve or to progress, nevertheless, God is at work. God is working to rescue, to redeem. God has given us hope. Salvation has come. Our liberation is not just approaching. It is here. 
in Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, born of, as this vulnerable baby, the light of the world that defeats the darkness has come. And that's something no one could have predicted. Isaiah speaks of this unexpected Savior, a child. Who's this child? He comes to save. Isaiah tells there is way more to this vulnerable little baby than meets the eye. And so he gives us four names that that unpack who this unexpected Savior is. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Not a bully, not someone coming with a fist of power, not a dictator, but a counselor. Someone who guides and listens, someone who pays attention, someone in whom your presence, in his presence, you know, you're heard, you're important, you're valued. Wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He has the muscle to do what he sets out to do, and he has set out to conquer all evil. He is control of all things. There is nothing passive about this Savior. He has come to, to assault everything that is wrong and twisted and broken in this world. He's everlasting God. He is God who is from before time, who lives to the end of time. In He is the ever-present one, our very present Father. Though governments might crumble, though environments might collapse and economies might fade away, the mountains might shake, God remains our faithful, everlasting Father. And he's the Prince of Peace. Because under his rule, peace grows. And through his government, all things come together. All those things that are disjointed, that are set at odds, find their harmonies in Jesus Christ. All that is broken and distorted comes together in health and wholeness for all people, not for a few, but for all. This is the coming God. You know, what I appreciate so much about the Advent season is this beautiful countercultural reminder it gives to us. All around us, you know, are the calls to be merry and bright. But the Advent season says, you know what? You don't need to have a bright side and put a bright side to all the the traumas of our world or your life because the world is a dark place it says but nevertheless come to the light come all of you faithless joyless defeated ones come all of you whose life isn't the beautiful instagrammable life that so many others put out come all of you weary and broken come you anxious and despairing Come to Bethlehem. Come to the light. Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ does, as it gets taught in churches, in our Bible studies, it gets lived out in our lives, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, it is to proclaim the simple, simple, fierce, bold truth. There is a hope. There is a light. There is a force of good, a personal God of love who is at work in this world, a God of both love and justice who brings meaning to our days and hope to our living. It is that fierce hope that Christians cling to even when life and the shadow feel so present. I've talked to many Christians, visited with many Christians who've, who've withstood probably some of the darkest, 
ugliest things that life can throw at them. People who have lived, for instance, so much of their lives as dissidents under the rod of oppressive tyrants. Parents whose hearts have just been shattered because they've had to bury their only child. Women who have been abused by the hands of men who promised to cherish and keep them. Teens who have been bullied and, and harassed at school, and they have known deep darkness in their life. And the one quality that all of them have shared because of their faith in Jesus Christ is this ability to maintain this profound hope for a brighter morning, even in some of those darkest moments of their lives, to choose, to choose joy even in the bleakest moment of life. The hope of Jesus, the hope of God's coming kingdom, that bright future somehow penetrated their dark today and gave them a light with which to live, a hope. And remarkably, they even found God increasing their joy. It's fascinating. In view of so much darkness that Isaiah notes, he sounds the note of joy. He writes, you have increased their joy. They rejoice before you, God, as people rejoice before the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing all the plunder. Now you hear that, and you see our dark world, and you think, how do those fit, right? How can we live with gladness in such a broken, shadowed world? How can you live with joy when you know there's children with bloated, hungry bellies, when when women cower under the fist of abuse, when, when creation itself feels like it's unwinding, when nations get ruled by corrupt dictators. How, how dare we hope? How dare we enjoy delight in the face of scandalous misery and injustice? It almost feels like it's, it's luxuriating in some sort of indifference to everything that's wrong. Here's what I found. That anger at all that's wrong in this world, it only takes you so far. And guilt, it doesn't get you much further either. You know, you might be prompted to send some money for a hungry child because of a guilt hangover that you had. And you might show up for a protest for victims of oppression out of some anger that you feel, but not for the long term. That won't fuel a lasting life of hope for justice and compassion. I'm finding that for, for myself, it's almost impossible to be a person of justice and compassion without this deep hope that produces joy. Joy, delighting in what is good. That, that is our best protest against everything that is evil and wrong in this world. Here's the thing about this dark, shadowed world we inhabit. It, Darkness and evil exists only as a parasite on the good. It requires the good and the true and the beautiful to exist. Evil is a vandal of everything that God has created good. And so a defiantly good protest to evil, often the antidote to despair that we feel, the fear that we feel, is to delight in what's good, to rejoice. Joy is actually a hopeful act of resistance. Joy and gladness, I'm finding, are the fuel for a just and compassionate life. Isaiah speaks of it. We see it most strongly in Jesus. 
There's this beautiful passage in Hebrews where Jesus, Hebrews 12, where it talks about how Jesus endured the cross. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. With his eyes locked in on joy, Jesus fully immersed himself, entered into our sin and our broken world. He suffered injustice and mockery. He endured pain. Joy was that motivating impulse for the cross of Jesus. And that same joy, it is our strength. Nevertheless, a light has dawned and you have increased their joy, God. Nevertheless, Isaiah proclaims, that one fierce word of hope tells us that any darkness you and I might experience, it is relative, it is not final, it is not absolute. God has come, he is present in our darkness, he has not abandoned us. And I know you might hear that and you think that sounds impossible, that sounds like you're just blowing sunshine today, Phil, to hope against all the evidence that our world puts out there. But as the poet Madeline Lingle writes of Christmas, she says, this is the irrational season when love blooms bright and wild. Had Mary been filled with reason, there had been no room for the child. So see this world through the beam of light that is Jesus Christ. Stand, would you, with the prophet Isaiah in the darkness that we face in this world today and proclaim the hope of that one word. Nevertheless, that pivot to the gospel towards the future of God's coming kingdom. We know division and disinformation can rip society apart. Hate speech has been emboldened. Nevertheless, a light has dawned. In our city, we face new records of murders and gun violence, and yet we say, nevertheless, a child is born. This planet groans and convulses under climate change, and we have the audacity to say, nevertheless, a son has been given. Anxious, distressed, despair reach epidemic levels, And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we say, nevertheless, the people in walking in darkness have seen a great light. I want all of us here to know this good news, that, that time is up on the night of darkness, that a new day has dawned in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the light of the world, has come, and he will come again. And our call, friends, is to bear that light, to be people of hope in this world. May we be so captured by the joy of God's kingdom, by the goodness of God's kingdom, that we would be people who live their lives in such a way today, participating fully in that reign of God, that good reign, so that nobody ever has to live in shadow and darkness again. And so into every face of evil that we find into every instance of gloom, no matter how persistent and tenacious that darkness is, into the darkness of despair, into the face of death itself, we as Jesus people loudly proclaim, nevertheless, because God's kingdom joy is stronger than evil, because God's love will best our fear every time, 
And as the story of Jesus reminds us, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. What a crazy, fierce hope this is you offer to us, Jesus. Some might look at it and say, you people are so out of touch with this world. But thank you, God, that this bright hope is not a looking away from all that is wrong in this world. It is not a turning aside, ignoring all the hardship and darkness we face. It is a full-on facing up to it, and yet in the midst of it, seeing the bright light of Jesus, the hope of the world. God, each of us encounter this darkness in a variety of different ways. We experience it personally. Would you give us the courage, the power to live in this hope? Would we continue to say, even though we might experience, not even feeling your presence, might we nonetheless say, nevertheless, a son has been given. May we live out the meaning of that beautiful pivot word of nevertheless. May we be people of great hope. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, the light of the world, we pray. Amen.